Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Today we're going to talk about Emerald Village. What is Emerald Village, you might ask? That's a good question. we got to go back to before Emerald Village existed to understand why it's even called that. Uh, so when I was 19, I moved out of my parents' house for the first time. A buddy of mine was like, let's live together. It'll be so much fun. I'm like, dude, why do you want to pay for rent? This feels like stupid but after I did it for like a month I was like oh I get it this is awesome this is totally worth whatever rent was back then you know not living with your parents and having the independence and it was awesome anyway probably about six months into this living situation I had there were four of us in a two-bedroom apartment uh I was taking a shower one night and I was like man I really love living with people and getting to do life with them and getting to like collide in each other's worlds and like brush off each other and you know, the whole iron sharpening iron situation. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was super cool. And I saw a lot of benefit in life to it. And I was like, it would be really cool. And because back then I also had people that were younger than me that I was mentoring. Um, I was like a leader at my church and I had a small group of dudes that I was leading or whatever. And so I've always had this heart for discipleship and mentorship and that whole thing. And I was like, it would be cool to like have guys live with me and I could teach them about life and relationships and like discipline and respect and communication and just like doing life together you know like it was not like a classroom for this stuff I suppose like growing up at home that would be the classroom but anyway I was like this would be super cool and I realized there was something significant in my heart that I had a huge value for this and I saw a lot of like life and fruit that would come from it and I was like I think I'd be good at it and I think it'd be really fun and like could I do this and I just thought about even and I'd never done this before, but I was like, could there be like a business model here where like people could like invest in this and it could be like a, you know, something profitable that could actually like pay for a lifestyle or whatever. But it was all just a pipe dream back then. I didn't like ever think this was going to take place. I just thought that'd be super cool. I don't know the path to get there. And I kind of gave up on it in terms of like figuring out the practicality. But I was like this, there's value here. I like this. Fast forward years later, I had moved to Reading. Um, it was after second year, I got hired on staff at Bethel and the guy that I was working next to at Bethel, he was, um, Chris Valton's assistant at the time. He was like, he found out that I was moving cause my roommate was going to move back to the East coast. And so I was going to look for another place cause I did not like the, <laughs> the apartment we were living in at the time. And he's like, Hey, you're moving. I was like, yeah. He's like, how would you feel about taking over one of my properties? And I was like, what does that mean? Cause I, I'd noticed every once in a while students would come to his desk and like hand him envelopes. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what are you doing? I didn't understand that he was running some kind of student housing community type situation. Anyway, long story short, apparently he had four properties in town that he like was the property manager of, and he handled all the leasing for every tenant that came in there. He furnished all of it and then just kind of, you know, facilitated these properties for the owners so they didn't have to worry about any of it. And then he obviously got paid the difference in managing all the tenants and that whole thing, which was a lot of work. And so he's like, I have a leader in each of the properties that I run. I want to have like a... Um, like a mentorship model here where there's like a pastoral person on site helping these people go through school because all these people were typically students at VSSM. 
He's like, I would love for you to be one of those people. And I was like, this sounds interesting. I mean, yeah, I'd be open to it. Can I check out what the property looks like? So he took me to one of the apartments and I was like, no, I don't want to do this. But then he's like, I have this other property that I'm not sure on yet, but I'm probably going to open and would love you want to check it out. I was like, sure. So it was just like a, an off thought on the way back to the office. So he swung by to this other neighborhood and let me walk around in this house. As soon as I walked into the living room, I was like, whoa, something's right about this. It felt this, there was a piece and a drawing. And I was like, this feels compelling to me. I really like this place. I don't know if it was the furniture and the aesthetic or if there's something in the spirit going on or both or whatever. But I was definitely like already being sucked into this. And I was like, I like it. And I looked around and I gave him the Christian answer. I was like, let me pray about it. And then a week later, I was like, dude, I'm in. Let's do it. And so um, I remember I was at a friend's going away party. Actually, my roommate's going away party. And he texted me and he's like, hey, could you go to the house now? I have a guy coming who's going to be there in like two hours. And I was like, what? He's like, can you move in before him? I don't want to move in before you. And I was like, um, dude, I'm at, the, I'm at my friend's going away party. Like, I could bring some stuff over. He's like, yeah, could you just like put stuff there? Just I want you technically living there first. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So, and there was already beds and everything there. So I literally spent the night there that night um, with this kid. So I just grabbed a bunch of stuff in my car, took it over. And then this guy showed up. And um, I remember like a week before anyone had come, I walked around in the house and even outside by myself at different times. And I would just, I was praying. I guess I legitimately did pray. <laughs> I was just like preparing my heart for what this space was going to be and what this time in my life was going to look like. And I was like, God, I want to, I want to like care for these guys. I want to like, I want to lead them. I want to take, I want to, um, establish like legitimate lifestyle choices and like an environment and an atmosphere here that is life giving that they want to be part of that I want to be part of. And so I had some values. I remember that I esteemed as like being things I was going to intentionally go after. I remember one being confrontation. I want us to be able to address things that are uncomfortable or unpleasant or that we don't like and be able to talk about those things and not like have to tiptoe around things or have awkward situations or have people compromise and like settle for a version of life because they don't know how to have like communication, right? So like confrontation is going to be a value here. We're going to be brave. We're going to be honest. We're going to be kind when we do it, but it's going to be like legit. I also wanted celebration to be another value. We're going to celebrate each other and like we're going to find ways to intentionally contribute and add to the momentum of what God's doing in people's lives living here. Like that's going to be a value. And I knew in any of the values that I was esteeming that I needed to demonstrate what this looked like. I couldn't just tell them in words that I wanted it to be this way. I needed to show them this. I had enough experience in mentorship and discipling up to this point in my life that I knew it needed to be something that was modeled, not just like talked about. And so I was kind of carving away in my own heart, like how I was going to posture myself and conduct myself with these guys before any of the opportunities or moments ever arrived. I already was like decided on how I'd respond. Um, I remember another one was physical affection was going to be celebrated and encouraged here. Not, I don't want to do the whole no homo thing and guys being self-conscious and weird about like, I don't know how to express myself and, you know, be affectionate to brothers around me. Like I wanted that to be something that could be normal and celebrated and whatever. And then, um, like mutual respect, like finding ways to do legitimate intimacy and trust with each other in a way that was honoring and respectful. And that like it kept people's dignity intact and it wasn't just like this weird hierarchical thing and whatever. Like these are things that I was like, I want to have this happen here, you know, in this home. And so this guy showed up and I was like, hello. And I realized like there was already love in my heart for these people before I ever met any of them. And I was like, I remember I had this like reality moment. I was like, wait, six dudes. It was a three bedroom house and we were going to have seven of us living there, which in hindsight, you think about it, it sounds like it's a lot. The space and the layout of the house was actually like very accommodating. So it didn't feel ever that we were cramped but the numbers sound kind of crazy 
Um, anyway, I, I realized, like, I've got six strangers about to move into my house that I'm going to live with. I've never met these guys before. I didn't even interview them. I have no idea who these guys are. And I already have love for these dudes. Like, this is interesting. And so as each of them showed up, they're all, every single one of them was so unique and so different. But I was so ready and I received them into my heart. And um, so we did life and, you know, like, stuff started to happen. We, I remember I intentionally, this was awkward for me at least. I was very self-conscious about this. I remember... Before I went to bed every night, whoever was home, I would intentionally go up to each dude and hug them and tell them goodnight. <laughs> Which, you know, in hindsight, again, also sounds <clears throat> so silly or whatever, but, like, that was something that I purposed in my heart I was going to do because I wanted to demonstrate, like, connection and value and priority and all the things. And so I did. I remember there was one guy who lived with us who, every time I hugged him, he, like, stiffened up like a board and just kind of survived the moment sometimes he literally wouldn't even hug me back he would just like let it happen he was like a victim to my hug I'm like oh am I just like assaulting and abusing this guy <laughs> like what the heck um, for like probably months it was every night he just like oh good night good night uh, he would just like brace himself and like survive it I'm like is this ever gonna change this is so weird other dudes just like you know went for it. or like if I forgot or like went to bed and like just you know, whatever, for whatever reason, I didn't. Like, they'd come in. I remember there was one night, it was probably four months in. I like said goodnight to some people that were around me and then went to bed. And then one guy came out of his bedroom and came to my room. He's like, Are you going to bed? And I was like, Yeah. I was like, In my bed, like, ready to go to bed. He's like, <laughs> He looks indignant at me. He's like, You didn't say goodnight. I was like, I'm sorry, goodnight. And he came over and just like laid on top of me and I hugged him. I was like, Goodnight. And then he left. And I was like, This is hilarious. Because that was not the case, right? With these guys coming in. Obviously, they're strangers. Um, anyway, the guy that was, like, super stiff and, like, hated it for the first chunk. After it was... I'm not kidding. It was probably two years in. He was, like, very stiff and rigid the whole time in that in that respect. Um, but probably about two years later, I remember he initiated a hug with me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Did that just happen? And, like, this guy was very... Um, rigid in that place in his life like consistently it was unyielding he was constantly that way with everyone it wasn't just me it was just he was like that with people so to have him initiate a hug with me it was still stiff as a board and super awkward but I was just shocked that he initiated and then I remember like uh, a year later we were, I hugged him and he his body actually like adjusted to mine I was like oh he's not a board anymore like somehow he's become a little more comfortable. And now as he and I, I'm still good friends with a bunch of these guys to this day. And some of us are still in Reading. Um, when he and I hang out, now it's like, it's laughable to me. The amount of physical contact I have with him when we're hanging out, it's like almost laughable. I'm like, what? why is he touching me still? Like, what's happening? Like he's just become very physically affectionate and playful, which to me is a beautiful sign of just people's hearts getting to transform given the right environment and support. And I think this guy's always been that way. He just, like, learned that being macho or being manly, and air quotes on that, looked like him not caring about, you know, physically affect physical affection or any of that kind of stuff. And even, like, verbally, like, affirming people or whatever. But now he's just become such a softy and a, just a teddy bear, which is hilarious and awesome. Anyway, so I, I did this with at least four of the dudes for four years. We all lived together year after year. They just kept renewing their leases with us. <clears throat> um... And the guy that I partnered with who was running this whole thing um, came to me after the first year and was like, hey, what are you doing at that house? And I was like, what do you mean? Because we would meet up every month or so and just chat and check in. And I just would share with him the passion of what I was experiencing in the home and how exciting it was and just the little results that I was seeing happen. And I would just share with, in my passion with him about the things I was observing. And he's like, after the first year, he's like, what are you doing there? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, 
I have three other properties besides yours, and the other three houses are having all these weird issues, like girls spending the night, dishes not getting done, like all these weird things that you're like, what? I'm, in my mind, I'm like, that's absurd. Like, why would that happen? Especially with a bunch of Christians living in the same house together, right? He's like, yeah, I'm telling you, Mike, it's crazy. I don't know why that stuff's happening, but it, it, it's happening everywhere. All of them are doing this, except your house. I don't hear any issues like this at your place at all. None of that stuff is happening. In fact, what I do hear is all like you know, beautiful and profound and amazing. So clearly you're doing something right. How would you feel about training my other house leaders to do what you're doing? And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'd train them on, but that sounds like fun. Sure. That'd be cool. And so I remember I actually booked a, a classroom with Bethel and I booked a three, two or three part class called roommates 101. And, and it was specifically inspired by and for these three other house leaders that were at the other properties. And I did it as a class so they didn't feel targeted or like singled out, but for them to have a space to get to come. And I remember 60 people came the first night and none of those people were the guys from the other properties. <laughs> Nobody from the properties came and I was like, okay, but it's at the class and it was awesome. And I remember like, that was kind of a breaking point in my life where I was very passionate and interested in like being a public speaker and a teacher. And that was like one of my first big breakout moments where I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm teaching on something that I care about that I'm skilled and experienced in that I'm passionate about. This is awesome. It was like a euphoric moment. I remember a friend of mine had administrated the whole thing and my buddy was there to support me. And so we had a little powwow afterward and I was just like high off my mind. I was like, I don't know, just beaming. I was like, this was awesome. Anyway. So fast forward the next year, uh, my partner was like, hey, I'd like for you to become a partner of mine. And um, like, I'd like you to become a business owner with me and own part of the company of this whole thing. And I want you to create a structure that you think makes sense for all of the properties and replicate what you've done at your property. What you're doing is awesome. I think there's something really powerful and alive here. And I want everyone to get to experience this at my places. And I was like, okay. So I, t- I stepped in with him. We had lots of meetings. I pulled on some friends and we kind of, I created a leadership structure and a model for each property. I was like, dude, you've got an apartment complex with like 16 units and you have one person overseeing that whole space. How are you supposed to cultivate community and relationship with these people when they all live in their own quarters? Like that guy's not going to be able to like do that for everyone. And so I told him, I was like, I want a leader in every unit, in every space where people are living and like they have their own bathroom, their own kitchen, their own living room. Every one of those spaces, I want a leader in each of them. And he was like, okay, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm like, I know it is, it's a lot of work, but this is a lot of work. Like if you want those kinds of results, it's going to take that kind of support and that life on life. And he's like, okay. And so we just, we built it out and I ran interviews and like it's put together this whole thing and I had leaders in every space. And then I would meet with them once a month and we would talk about what does it look like? And I would instill values in them on how do you actually build a culture and a community in your home like this and celebration, confrontation, you know, trust, respect, these kinds of things. Like this matters and here's how, and let's talk about it. It was almost sometimes like a recovery group. Like <laughs> the house leaders would get together and like, you guys, this person, yeah, they did this yesterday. And last week they said this to this person and this thing happened. And we're like, oh dude, that's awful. I'm sorry. We all just kind of supported Chuck because seriously, people in their like late teens, early twenties, not having a ton of experience living with other people can do some pretty heinous stuff, right? Roommate culture is crazy. I've heard some nightmare stories. I'm like, what happened? Are you kidding me? It's so funny. Just the stuff people find themselves in. (laughs) So it was like a place to get to train and support the other house leaders and to give them some covering and like, you know, tools and things but also to help increase the quality of what the rest of our tenants were experiencing. And we had community events and that whole thing. And it was awesome. And so fast forward, I did this for a few years 
And then one year, my little sister became one of my interns. Um, and so I kind of had her be the female overseer of, a, of the whole gig. And then I had this guy who was also interning for me be the male overseer for this whole thing. And they kind of ran together and partnered. My sister was like running the thing and he was, or was the other way around? Nope. He was running the thing and she was a supportive role. I think she did a lot more than she expected in that whole thing. But um, anyway, I also told the dudes, this is kind of a funny story. I told the dudes who were interning for me, there were two of them and I had three girls. I told the two dudes, and one of the girls was my sister. I told the two dudes, you are not allowed to date my sister. Like you can date whoever you want in the whole world of all the billions of people that exist. You can date anybody. She's not on the market. And they're like, okay. And they like mess with me because two of them actually, they both lived with me for two years before this. And so I knew the both of them very well. And they had lived at that property with me. So they're very familiar and comfortable with that whole arena. I was like, yeah, that. And then they joked around about it with me for a couple of months. And finally, they're both like, okay, yes, we, we promise. Well, whatever. And so anyway, fast forward, the internship started. Mika, my sister, and then Zach, the other guy, were running the, the whole student housing thing together. <clears throat> it was probably about two months in. Zach starts confessing that, like confessing because he felt guilty. He's like, I think that I'm starting to have feelings for your sister. And I was like, what? And I look at him like he's a traitor, right? Like he's betrayed me. And he's like, I know, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just, I'm bringing it up so that I can, you can help me like process and figure out what I do, like what I need to change to manage this and whatever. I'm like, yeah, let's figure that out. <laughs> and I'll tell this story another time, but you know, I got confronted by the Lord and had to change some of this. And then they ended up dating like halfway through the year and like running this whole thing together as like a couple and but what they did was amazing. There was a lot of life and, and like community buy-in. It was really fun to watch what was happening with the people they were leading and seeing the ownership they both had taken. And then the next year, my business partner decided he was like selling all of these properties and contracts and just getting out of the whole thing. And he just wanted to move into some other things he was doing. He had some great investments that went off that just kind of shifted the focus of his career. So he wanted to let this whole thing go because there was a lot of work on his end. I was like, oh, it's a bummer. It was, it was fun. I love what we were doing, but okay, that makes sense. I'm okay. I'm on board. And Zach and Mika were both like, what? No. And they came to me like, Mike, we got to keep this going. We can't just end this. Like we have to, are you kidding? There's too much life here. We want to do this again. I was like, yeah, but I don't have any experience like running the other side of all this. Like, yeah, but we can learn. Like, what if he tells us how to do things? Or So we had a meeting with him and he's like, I mean, if you guys want to, you could. I'm just, and he was just like, I'll help. And I'm like, but I had to be like the sole proprietor and take on all the legal and financial responsibility and all stuff. I was like, okay. So I made a deal with him. I was like, you guys, if we do this, I will be the whole grandpa situation. I'll front all this and I will, you know, be the overseer of the whole operation, but you guys got to do the work. So filling the tenants, running their leases, responding to like maintenance calls, all the things. I don't want anybody calling me for anything. I don't have the capacity or the bandwidth to take on that kind of like involvement. Like, yeah, that's fine. We'll do it. We'll do it. So it was very clear. I was like, I'm telling you, like, this is a lot of work you're talking about. If we're going to do this, you guys need to pick up that piece and I'll pick up this piece. And they're like, okay, done. And I was like, okay. And I was like, and also, by the way, I'll cut 50% of the profits to you guys too. So you'll be, you'll be compensated. They're like, yeah, that's really exciting. And they were very motivated by that, right? So my business partner had like done something with the word Emerald and that was like part of his logo and then he got rid of it or whatever. And so we decided we wanted to call this place to honor the legacy of what had gone before us and just kind of playing with the words. We wanted to call it Emerald Village. And I loved it. I was like, that's a brilliant name. I love it. It's so funny and awesome. And so anyway, we picked it up and ran with it. And then um, the next year, Mika had taken two interns. And so her two interns were going to help support and run the Emerald Village world, in which they did. And this last year was the year they did that. And it was awesome. And the thing just continues to thrive and, and be a place where basically our heart and mantra behind this whole thing was 
going to a supernatural ministry school, yeah, it's great to learn how to prophesy. It's important, and I love that. And learning how to partner with the Lord to heal the sick or perform miracles or preach the gospel or whatever. Like, moving in that stuff is awesome, and I love it. I have a huge value for it. It's important. However, you can do those things and not have love in your heart. You can do those things and not live well with people, not care for others. You know, your moral character could be lacking, and you can still move in power. And so my heart behind doing the living situation in this context was... I don't care what your supernatural feats are and how you're able to like accomplish these things in the spirit. If your roommates hate you, if they don't have connection with you, if you don't know how to have like a heart to heart, like bond with the people you do life with, like if you just treat your roommates like people you're surviving and you just only like have thriving connection with people who don't spend time with you or like, you know, don't have, you don't have any accountability to like, I'm not impressed by that. Like this, um, Discipline and character would show true in an environment where you can't control what people think about you, where they consistently, against your, you know, choice on some level, like they experience you and observe you and see you're coming in and going out and your rhythm. And so obviously they have a different perspective and experience of your lifestyle and your choices and what matters to you. And in that space, I want people to be able to experience love and connection and humility and pr- preferring each other and that whole thing there because if you can do it there you can do it anywhere like that takes resilience that takes humility that takes guts it takes courage to like choose to be vulnerable and to move towards someone in a space where you don't have control over them which is part of why family is such a profound and you know deeply entrenched experience because we do life like that together and then obviously when you get married and have your own family these things happen you can't escape these people and so in the same way the roommate situation as temporary as it might be there's that continuity and that accountability that I have such a huge value for that demonstrates, is this real or are you just performing? Because you can't perform at home that long. Eventually it's exhausting and you you got to give it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's just been such a huge priority for me in seeing people coming to this environment and still learning how to cultivate and develop their relationship with love and let him be the one that's motivating them to do any of the things that they're doing. It's a rigorous training ground. It's beautiful. The fruit is in progressive and sustainable because it's a lifestyle thing. It's not just a circumstantial wham, bam, like one off situation. It's like, I got to sit here and learn how to, you know, adjust to this ongoing, which I love and have such a, such huge value for us. That's a, that's a, a huge part of my world that I continue to like say yes to and support and like cultivate and I've kind of been like a grandfather as of late, like last couple of years, I've kind of stepped in, I've taken a step back and been more like, you know, Papa, Grandpa, Emerald Village guy or whatever. I think they even have like funny affectionate terms for different roles in the community. Like I think each house leader is now called a village elder. Is that true? And I think that uh, the people, the tenants who live there are called the villagers. <laughs> Which I think is so funny and I love it. Oh God, the villagers. Um, anyways. So that's a thing. That's definitely a piece of my world. And we've got people coming in and going out every year that are stepping into the Emerald Village. And I've got parts of my team who are just mentoring and supporting. Several of my interns from the past few years are currently elders in the village. Oh, my God. Anyway, so I just wanted you guys to know about that piece of my life. It's important. It's definitely, it carries a piece of my heart. I have a huge value for community and authentic relationships and learning how to build connections with people that are real and legitimate and based on love that are messy, that force you to have to face ugly parts of your heart and learn how to submit to the the beauty and, you know, value of other people and prioritize and prefer them over yourself. It just kind of winnows out the selfish thing. It's a beautiful training ground for marriage, family, leadership. 
community, all the things. Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.